Well, grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians. Um, if you're joining us for the first time, we've just been walking through uh, the book of Philippians, uh, working very slowly, uh, but we here I believe in the exposition of the Word. We're working through it systematically, and uh, we find ourselves today on the second part of Philippians 1.21. Philippians 1.21. So if you are there in your Bibles, I'm going to read it, and then we will... Pray and then dive right in. Philippians 1, and let's start in verse 12, just to give you some context. This is God's word to us this morning. Paul writes, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, Be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And this is God's holy and errant and precious word. May the Lord truly um, plant this in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your truth. We are coming this morning with expectant hearts, with eager anticipation for what your Spirit will do as we focus our attention on your Word, Lord. So may you please open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's begin with this question. Are you prepared to die? That's uh, a great Father's Day message right there. Are you prepared to die? And when I say prepared, I'm not talking about do you have all of your funeral arrangements ready, maybe a plot of land reserved at a cemetery, maybe you one of those ones that want to be cremated and you want to be sprinkled, maybe a little bit here, a little bit there. I am asking the question, are you truly prepared to die? What, uh, what epitaph would you have on your tombstone? You know what an epitaph is. This is the epitaph of Frank Sinatra. On Frank's tombstone, it says, The best is yet to come. And for those of you who are familiar with Mr. Sinatra, that was one of his hit songs back in 1964. Frank Sinatra died of a heart attack, 82 years old. It actually was John MacArthur's birthday yesterday, 82 years old. Uh, He lived a long life. 700 people showed up to Frank Sinatra's memorial service. Um, And as you can imagine, lots of actors and musicians, political figures. They buried Frank with uh, some camel cigarettes 
his Zippo lighter, and a bottle of Jack Daniels. And as they gathered there in Palm Springs, actor Kurt Douglas predicted that with Sinatra's arrival into the afterlife, that heaven will never be the same. That is what Kurt Douglas said. Now, I don't know if Frank Sinatra trusted in Christ later on in life, but I will tell you this, if he continued with the philosophy of his other hit song, I did it my way, then the chances are that he is not in the presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There's another popular epitaph from an atheist who was buried in a cemetery in Maryland. That epitaph reads this, here lies an atheist, all dressed up with no place to go. C.S. Lewis heard about that, and he responded, I bet he wishes that were true. But what epitaph will be on your tombstone? Again, that's pretty heavy duty for a Father's Day message, but it's something that we need to think about. And I realize that our culture does not like talking about death. In fact, when you look at Hollywood and you look at all the video games, um, they try to desensitize us to the reality of death. We, even as Christians, we want to soften it up. We, so we don't talk about death as much. We talk about passing away or going to a better place. I think about Jesus when he looks at Lazarus and says, he's dead. He tells the disciples, he's dead. His body stinketh, it says in the King James Version. But listen, no matter what we believe about death, it's going to happen. And when you look at the social media world and the media world, everyone's just assuming that when you die, where are you going? To heaven. Why? Because love wins. And somewhere in the Bible it says God is love. And if God is a God of love, then that must mean that everyone gets to go to heaven. No one is going to hell. Maybe unless you're Hitler, Charles Manson, or somewhere in between those two guys. But other than that, when we think about death, I think all of the world wants to think that either there is no heaven or everyone is going to heaven. But we know from the scriptures that that is just not true. But if it is true, if it is true that there is no heaven or everyone does get to go to heaven, then maybe this would be the right kind of inscription on your epitaph. To laugh, to hunt, to bathe, to game, that is life. For me, to live is to hunt, it's to go to spas, it's to play, it's to party. That's what life is all about. And you say, that kind of sounds like a modern mentality, when in fact, that is an ancient inscription of a Roman soldier that was found in the ruins of ancient Carthage. And listen, much hasn't changed. If we were to survey the entire world, and we were to say, world, fill in the blank. For me, to live is... What would they put? What would you put? Is it sex? Is it money? Is it power? John MacArthur writes, If you put wealth in the blank, dying brings not gain but loss. The same is true if you selected prestige or fame or power or possessions, because none of those things remain after death. Prestige is lost. Fame is forgotten. Power is useless. And possessions are given to others. 
for verse 21 to make sense as Paul wrote it, only Christ can fill the first blank. Otherwise, death is inevitably loss. Listen, if the sum and substance of your life is anything but Christ, then when you die, you will have lost everything. Everything you hold dear, if it's not Christ. Death will not be gain for you. So the question that I want to answer this morning is this. When you die, personally, and it will happen unless the Lord comes back, you will die. Will death be gain to you? If you're a Christian here this morning, you know what the answer is? You say it. Yes, absolutely. Death will be gain, whether you fully grasp the reality or not. And what I hope to do this morning is to help you maybe a little bit better grasp that reality. But if you're not a Christian, death will not be gain to you. It will not be gain. If you are not born again, if you have not turned from your sins, if you have not trusted Christ for salvation, then when you have that inevitable date with death, it will not be gain. It will be tragic, sad, horrific loss. That's because the only person who can say that dying is gain is the one who first says to live is what? Christ. And you remember last time that we met, we talked about what that means, to live as Christ. We said to live as Christ means that Christ is your personal Lord and Savior. He's not dad's personal Lord and Savior. He's not mom's personal Lord and Savior. He's your personal Lord and Savior. Then we said that he needs to be on public display, not just private, your little own private Christianity, but publicly before all you're witnessing and testifying that he is your Savior. We said to live as Christ means that he is the purpose of your life, that he is the number one priority of your life. He is the pleasure of your life. He is the passion of your life. And we said, because of all of those things, if he is those things to you, then he will be the pattern of your life. You will want to live in a Christ-like manner. And listen, all those things were true of the Apostle Paul, right? Follow me as I what? Follow Christ. And remember, Paul, right now, as he's pinning this, he is sitting under house arrest. He's anticipating a death sentence, and yet under house arrest, and having the threat of capital punishment hanging over his head, Paul is still rejoicing. And he's commanding us to rejoice. And you say, how can he do that? Because his joy was not in his circumstances. His joy was not in this world or the things of the world, the pleasures of the world. No, his joy was found in Christ and in Christ alone. And listen, the same thing needs to be true for both you and I. Our life needs to be Christ. And let me tell you this. As the world watches you go through difficult circumstances, we might not be in prison, but we know some brothers up in Canada that are. Dad's being taken away from wife and kids because they're preaching the gospel. That might be coming south down to America sometime soon. We know that we have difficulty. We've got family difficulty. We have relational difficulty. We have difficulty in business. We've got all kinds of challenges and trials. What happens when we face those trials with a Christ-like mentality, the observing, watching world watches, and they see that our Christ, our Savior, is worth living 
and dine for. In fact, most of the time, our testimony shines the brightest, not when we're on the mountains of ease and comfort and relaxation, but our light shines the brightest when we're in the valleys, working through trial and difficulty. So here's our outline for this morning as we think about death. First, we're going to ask this question, what is death? Then we're going to ask, why is death gain, according to Paul? And then we're going to finish with, will your death personally be gain? What is death? Why is death gain? And will your death be gain? So let's begin here with, what is death? You say, Dom, that's pretty obvious. Well, maybe not, because everyone has an opinion about death and what happens after death. I just had a friend this week uh, show me a picture. He sent me a picture from a book that uh, someone gave him about what happens after the afterlife. It was a New York seller uh, bestseller. We see lots of talk show hosts interviewing people who say that they've supposedly died, went to heaven and came back, or even went to hell and came back. All kinds of books have been written about people who make these claims. I have people in my own life, my own family, who try to convince me there is no heaven, there is no hell. When you die, that's it. You're just dead. You're just back in the dirt. People say that we just eternally sleep. No consciousness. Others say that uh, there's something called purgatory. So just uh, down the way, down this street here, there's a Catholic church that teaches that. Um, Apparently, you don't make the cut when you die. And so in order for you to move past this last process of purification, you need to have people praying for you to hopefully bump you up one level into heaven. Others believe in reincarnation. Others still believe in annihilation. And then you have all the cults that believe that, well, when you die, you just become God and you inherit your own planet. All kinds of opinions about what happens when you die. When the reality is, all of you sitting in the pew, if you are in Christ, you should be able to answer with resounding clarity what happens when you die. You say, well, that's a pretty proud thing to say. Well, no, the Bible tells us what it is. The Bible is very clear about what happens after we die. You know, I've done many um, memorial services for, for family. What gives me the confidence to stand up and tell a bunch of grieving, mourning family members that if grandma or grandpa or uncle or auntie or mom or dad or son or daughter died in Christ, that they're actually in the presence of Jesus. Well, what gives me the authority to say that? It's not my opinion. It's not wishful thinking. It's not blind hope. It is the scriptures that give me the confidence to say that without flinching. Paul, he knew what would happen after death because God revealed it to him in his holy word. We don't figure out what happens at death because of the scientific method. We know what happens at death because the Bible, the Word of God, tells us what happens. And the Bible actually provides us a lot of information about death. When you open up to the very first book, we see it. And then you flip all the way through the pages of Scripture, and we see almost death on every page. And then when you get to the book of Revelation, we see that death is finally defeated in the book of Revelation. We Christians need not fear death. We need not dread death. In fact, For the Christian, when we think about death, it should produce quite a bit of delight. 
because of the reality of what happens after we die. But listen, all of us, all of us will die. Listen to the words of Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. It says this, And as much as it is appointed, it is determined for men to die once, and after that comes judgments. Children, your parents will die. Parents, your children will die. Husband, wife, your spouse will die. Again, Dom, this is a little heavy for a Father's Day message. But this is what the Scripture teaches. And in order for us to really understand what the Scriptures teach, we need to understand a few presuppositions, some foundational truths about death. And here's the first. Death is the sentence for sin. Death is the sentence for sin. Turn with me to the first book of the Bible, Genesis, in chapter 2. Genesis 2. Moses here is writing and giving us a clear picture of God's command. There in Genesis 2, verse 15, we read this. Then the Lord God took the man, he put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat, from it you will surely die. Here is a very clear, unambiguous command from the Lord. Adam, if you disobey, you will have the curse of death. Now flip over a page to Genesis chapter 3 and look at verse 19. Here, God is speaking with Adam after he disobeyed and ate the fruit along with his wife Eve. And what is the punishment for the disobedience? Genesis 3.19. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. There in Genesis 2, there was the preview. In Genesis chapter 3, there is the pronouncement. Look, there would be no death if there was no disobedience. You say, why? Why death? Why pain? Why heartache? Why separation? It is because of sin. Death is the just punishment upon mankind because man broke God's law. And contrary to what the society believes and much of the world, what they believe today, where they say, well, everything is just meaningless, pain and suffering and cancer and sickness and even death, it's all just arbitrary, it's random, it's meaningless. The Bible says something dramatically different. The Bible says it's actually theological. And it has to do with our relationship with the sovereign God. Death is God's punishment upon humanity because of our sin. And because Adam sinned, all of us sinned in Adam. And we are under the curse of a broken law. That is the first foundational truth. Here's the second. Death is not only a sentence of sin, but it is separation of the soul from the body. Death is the separation of the soul from the body. Turn back to Philippians chapter 1. And let me just show you this as we look at 1, 21 through 24. Follow me as I read. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. 
Then Paul says, verse 22, but if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. For I do not know which to choose, but I am hard pressed from both directions, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Paul here, he mentions life. He mentions death right there in verse 21. And in verses 22 through 23, he defines what both of those things are. Live on in the flesh. Remain on the flesh. Flesh there means to be in the body, the physical body. Death, as we see in verse 23, Paul says it is to depart. To depart, to be outside of the body. That reference there is to leaving the earthly body by means of the soul. You see, life is never merely bodily existence. And death is never non-existence. When God created you, he created you to live forever. Your body might die. Your body might be buried. But your soul will live forever. There is no such thing as soul sleeping. There is no such thing as purgatory. There is no such thing as conditional immortality. The Bible is very clear that our physical bodies, when they die, when biological life stops, you continue to exist. And when Christ comes back, we read this actually in Revelation 20, when he returns, just as he promised, our souls will be reunited with our bodies. And those who are in Christ will be reunited and given a glorified body to enjoy heaven for all of eternity. And those that have rejected Christ and refused to bow the knee to Christ will be resurrected to a death that will last forever, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So death, it's the sentence for sin. It's the separation of the soul and the body. And that's all helpful truth. But what we haven't done yet is we haven't talked about why Paul would say that this death here is gain. Now imagine hearing this letter read for the first time, to live is Christ, and you say yes and amen to that. And then he says right after, to die, gain. Wait a second. To die, gain? Isn't death something that we want to avoid at all costs? But look, he says, to die is gain. And you say, Dom, how is death gain? Well, that word gain, it simply just means profit. It's a monetary term. So when Paul says that death is gain, what he's saying is this will yield the greatest return. This is the most profitable thing that can happen to me. This is where I gain the greatest treasure is death. So far from being a tragedy, Paul is saying, no, this is actually the greatest triumph. But listen, this idea is not novel to Paul. Many before Paul, many during Paul, many after Paul had said that death is also gain. And so this past week, I went and kind of studied the annals of antiquity to find out what people said about death. And it's true, they said death is gain. But the reason why they said it is dramatically different than what Paul is saying here. Socrates said this, if there is no consciousness, but sleep, that is death is like sleep, 
When the sleeper does not even know or does not even see a dream, then yes, death would be unspeakable gain. He goes on to say, now if death is like this, then I would say that to die is gain. He says the exact same thing Paul does, but he says it for different reasons. Others consider death as gain because, well, it's better than living a hateful life. It's better than a life of trouble. It's better than a life of uselessness. Death is gain because it brings freedom from misery. Another author said that the end of this life is better than to live in dishonor. And so you have all these Greek philosophers and orators saying that death is gain, but they're looking at it because it's an alternative to a life of trouble and a life of misery and a life of shame. And I would say the same is true today. And this is honestly why people actually commit suicide, because they think that they could just escape from everything. They think, oh, I'm tired of the pain. I'm tired of the heartache. I want to escape my bad circumstances. I want to escape my bad health. I want to leave these difficult struggles. But listen, Paul's perspective is dramatically, dramatically different. He didn't regard death as a way to escape earth. He just realized that when he did pass, it would be far greater Now look, there are innumerable ways, innumerable ways that death is gained, but what I want to do is just highlight four for you. We're going to highlight four this morning, and hopefully this is easy to remember. Death will be gained because it will usher in a new city, a new company, a new Christ-likeness, and a new communion. A new city, a new company, a new Christ-likeness, and a new communion. So let's think about this together. A new city. The Bible says that this earth where we live, this is not our home. This world is not our final destination. One day, we will no longer have a temporary, transitory dwelling. Many of you just moved to the area some from more beautiful places like Hawaii, some from not-so-beautiful places. But when you're in the military, you know you're here, you're gone, you're there, and then you're gone again. Many of you have moved several times. When you get to heaven, there's no more moving. You're at home. This is what Paul says in Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer is speaking of believers who live by faith. Each of these were seeking a better, longer lasting home. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13. He says, all these died, all those in the hall of faith, they died without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. And look what it says. He has prepared a city for them. You know, in that upper room, when Jesus is preparing to go to the cross, his disciples, they are 
struck with fear. They have anguish that Jesus is leaving. And Jesus chooses very careful words to comfort them. Do you remember what he says? John chapter 14. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then he says this. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And then Jesus says this, that where I am, you may be also. We call our home, home sweet home. We love to talk about home sweet home. Every time we're away for a while, the kids talk about home sweet home. We've moved quite a bit. The first 10 years of our marriage, we moved nine times. We long for a permanent address. We long for not having to move again, no longer being exiles, no longer packing and unpacking and loading and unloading the U-Haul truck. We want to be settled. We want to be safe. We want to be secure. But that is so elusive here on this earth. 2 Corinthians 5.1 says this, For we know that if the earthly tent, that is our mortal body, which is our house, if it's torn down, if our bodies decay and die, Paul says we have a building from God. We have a body of glory. We have an immortal body, an incorruptible body. We have an eternal body. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Look, church, this is not our home. That's why Paul says just a few verses later there in 2 Corinthians 5.8, we are of good courage. I say, and I prefer to be absent from the body is to be what? At home. At home with the Lord. Death will be gain because we will have a new, permanent, lasting, beautiful, imperishable city. But it's not just that. It's not just the place that we're going. It's the people that we'll be with. We have a new company. We will be with all of the saints of old. Who's your favorite Bible character? We say that word character. It's an individual. It's a person, man, woman. You will get to see them. You'll get to, to sit and talk to them. Adam, Abraham, Moses, Job, David, Solomon, Elijah, the disciples, Peter, Paul, they'll all be there. And you'll get to talk to them. And I think Peter will run up to us, take us by the collar, look us in the face. Do you remember what I said in my letter? Do you remember? 1 Peter 1.8, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And Peter will say, but now you get to see him. How much more will your joy be made full when you get to be with all the saints in heaven? Past, present, and future. But it's not just the saints of old. We're going to be in the presence of angels. These wonderful, marvelous, awe-inspiring beings, worshiping with them the holy triune God. 
It's not just the angels, but we'll be with all those who have passed away. For some of you, Father's Day is hard. Mother's Day is hard. Why? Because mom or dad have passed away. And it's difficult when you have these days because you want to celebrate, but there's just hurt. When you go to heaven, you get to reunite with grandma and grandpa, with mom and dad, with child, with brother or sister. And it's going to be such a sweet reunion because you never have to say goodbye again. The entire body of Christ will be in heaven and it will be a perfect, perfect company. No more relational brokenness, no more dissension, no more disharmony. But in heaven, there's perfect unity. It's something that we long for here, but we can't have in totality. There will be no more divisions, no more denominations, no more dividing lines. All of the Armenians will finally be Calvinist. (laughs) Heaven is a place where nothing separates us. No ethnic divisions, no political arguments, no racial tensions. There's absolutely no barriers to our relationships. How beautiful will that be? How many of you, just by a show of hands, you've never had a relational challenge, never had a relational difficulty? That's what I thought. All of us, young and old, it doesn't matter, introvert, extrovert, all of us have experienced the heartache of relationships. All of us know what it's like to be frustrated in relationships. Is it them? Is it me? How come people don't like me? How come they don't want to hang out? How come they don't want to be my friend? What did I do? Why do they do what they did? Some of you just are longing for a faithful, loyal, consistent friend. Friendships, relationships, they're extremely challenging. For some of you, I know this, home life is a mess. There's just no peace at home. You don't even want to be home because there's constant arguing, there's misunderstandings. Home is a challenge for you. For some of you, it's the workplace, it's toxic. There's office politics, people are talking trash behind your back. All the water cooler language is all gossip. For some of you, it's school. You don't even want to go to school because people are mean at school. They exclude you at school. And for some of us, man, it's the church. There are fallout of relationship in church. And that is extremely challenging. Look, death is gain because when death comes and we go to glory, there are no more factions No divisions, no relational misunderstandings. The only thing that you'll experience in heaven is mutual love and honor. All animosity is traded for brotherhood and perfect sisterhood. There's no more disappointments. Death will bring you the perfect, harmonious, peaceful relationship that your heart longs for. The reason why we'll enjoy a new company is because of this, because you will be more Christ-like than you could ever imagine. That's our third point here, a new Christ-likeness. Death will be gained because when we die, we will finally, finally be like Christ. 1 John 3, 2 says this, Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet appeared what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him 
because we will see him just as he is. Listen to this, church. One day, you will no longer daily sin. You won't sin in word, in thought, in deed. You will trade this horrible battle with the flesh and of the mind and with the world and with the devil. You will trade that for perfection. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer, contrasting the difference between the heavenly Mount Sinai and the heavenly Mount Zion, he says this, Hebrews 12, 22, but you have come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. He's talking about us, the church. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Listen, you will be perfect in heaven. That's why you don't have any relational difficulty. Jude 24 says this, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, 27, that one day Christ will present to himself the church that is you and me in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be what? Holy and blameless. Think about this. Scott, one day you will not sin anymore. Sarah, one day you will not sin anymore. Terry, you will not sin one day anymore. Becca, one day no more sin. How sweet is that? We will be like him. Death is gain because you will gain an inability to sin. Never, ever again will we do something or say something or think something that is sinful. Death is gain because we will be with every single saint that ever lived. They won't be sinful and we won't be sinful. We will be like Christ. But I think the tip of the iceberg, all those things are great. But here's the real tip of the iceberg. Death is gain because it provides a greater communion with Jesus Christ himself. A new communion. One day, we will see Jesus face to face. We'll see him. That is the ultimate goal of the Christian. Sometimes you feel like he's not there, he's not present. Sometimes you say, I just want to see you, I just want to know you. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. One day you will get to see him. You know, whenever I go away on a long trip, I went last month uh, to Milwaukee for a week. And uh, I miss my family when I'm gone. Um, I'll call. What a, what a joy to be able to FaceTime these days where we can see each other, but it's not the same. But when I get off the plane and come home, uh, I am so eager and excited to hug my TV. I am so eager and excited 
to go and give a kiss to my office chair. I just want to see my wife. I want to hug my kids. What makes home, home is my family. What makes heaven, heaven is Jesus. It's not the streets of gold. It's not the pearly gates. What makes heaven so great is Jesus is there. And we get to see him. And you will see him. You'll see the scars, which will be a reminder that he gave up his life to own you, to have you, to be with you. He laid down his life for you, and you will finally be able to see him and hug him and fall at his feet and thank him. That is why heaven is gain, because we get more of Christ. To live is Christ, to die is Christ. That is why it's gain. When we die, it is a split second and we are in the presence of the one who loves our soul and gave up his life to redeem our soul. And listen, just because we're in heaven doesn't mean that we're going to love people less. It just means that we love Christ more because we're going to enjoy Christ with everybody else. All the things that we experience here, all the joys, all the pleasures, they're still joyful. They still bring satisfaction and pleasure. But the greatest pleasure is being in the presence of Christ. That is why Paul reminds us in Colossians chapter 3, he says this, Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Let me say it again. The heart of being a Christian is that we prefer communion with Christ above everything else. Above everything else. I live for him here on earth, but when I die, I actually get to be with Jesus. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He says, I'm looking for peace and joy. I am looking for happiness and Christ completely satisfies me in every respect. I have intellect. Christ satisfies it. I have feelings and desires which need satisfaction. Christ is my all in all. Every demand that I make of life is more than fully satisfied in Christ. That is what Paul means by saying that living to him is Christ. The reaction to things that happen and all the demands of Paul's nature and his personality are fully satisfied and filled. And if all that the doctor said is true in this life, how much more in the life to come where we will be fully satisfied? Like Paul, we'll be able to love Christ and adore Christ and worship him and serve him perfectly forever with no hindrances. This is why the psalmist says, whom do I have in heaven but you? And beside you I desire nothing here on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. J. Vernon McGee writes this, gain is always more of the same thing. If to live is Christ, then to die would just be more of Christ. There was a uh, 
a man by the name of John Jasper. He was born into slavery July 4th, 1812. He was uh, converted at the age of 27. And after he was converted, he convinced a fellow slave to teach him how to read and write because he really wanted to study the scriptures to become a minister of the gospel. He preached there in Richmond, Virginia, and he would often officiate a lot of funeral services for slaves. And after he officiated several services, someone came to him and said, when you die, what do you think the first thing is that you will do? And his response was this, for the first 500 years, I'm just going to look at Jesus. That's boring to people who don't know Christ. But for those who know him, you could sit 500, 1,000, 10,000 years and be fully satisfied looking at the face of Christ. For Paul, death is the entrance into gain. But that's not how the world sees it. The world wants to cling to this world, doesn't want to leave the world. But you must remember that we lose everything that we don't need when we pass from this life to the next. We lose the world, we lose the flesh, we lose the devil. We lose trials and troubles and tribulations and tears and fears and limitations and weakness. It's all gone. We keep everything that matters. All of the spiritual investments here on earth Storing up for yourself treasures in heaven, you get to see them and enjoy them. The ripple effects will finally be able to see and enjoy all the fruit of your evangelism and ministry and sacrifice. You get to see it and taste it in heaven. We gain what, we'll never, what we never have here, which is heaven and the saints and angels, the presence of God, and the full glory of Jesus Christ without being consumed. There was this evangelist by the name of John Rice down in Texas. And he was preaching, and he would often preach against those who were illegally bringing in alcohol to the little city or little small town in Texas. And so those who were bringing their illegal liquor, they stopped him. And they told him, you better stop preaching, or we're going to kill you. And his response was, you can't threaten me with heaven. Heaven is the greatest gain because it gives us Jesus. Now we've learned that death is what death is, how Paul considered it gain. Now we want to end with this question, will your death be gain? Again, if you're a Christian, the answer is yes. If you're a Christian, the answer is Yes. Listen to these dying, last words of these dying saints. The Puritan, John Preston, when he was on his deathbed, he was asked if he feared death now that he was close to it. This is what John Preston said. He whispered, no. Blessed be God, though I change my place, I shall not change my company. He said this, for I have walked with God while living, and now I go to rest with God. I feel death coming into my heart. My pain shall now be turned to joy. Martin Luther said, Our God is the God from whom cometh salvation. God is the Lord by whom we escape death. 
John Calvin said, Thou, Lord, bruisest me, but I am abundantly satisfied since it is from your hand. John Knox, live in Christ, live in Christ, and the flesh need not fear death. John Wesley, the best of all is God is with us. Farewell, farewell. His brother, Charles, I shall be satisfied with thy likeness, satisfied, satisfied. And you know John and Charles, great men of God, wrote tremendous hymns. We sing them. I think the reason why John and Charles were so amazing was because of their mom. Susan Wesley, when she died, she said, Children, when I'm gone, sing. Sing a song of praise to God. Thomas Goodwin, ah, is this dying? How I have dreaded as an enemy this smiling friend. Adoniram Judson, I am not tired of my work, neither am I tired of the world. Yet when Christ calls me home, I shall go with gladness of a boy bounding away from school. I guess they didn't like school back then either. <laughs> David Brainerd, the well-known missionary in the American colony, said this, I am going into eternity, and it is sweet to me to think of eternity. The endlessness of it makes it sweet. But then he said this, But oh, what shall I say of the future of the wicked? The thought is too dreadful. And don't let David Brainerd's description of the wicked fool you. The Bible says that we are all wicked, all by nature children of wrath. Ephesians 2 says you are dead in your trespasses and sins. The death of an unbeliever means the unbeliever will be forced to forfeit everything. Everything they possess, everything that they cherish is gone for all of eternity, never to be enjoyed again. The only way that death will be your gain is if you have Christ. I would be remiss to finish here and to not call you to faith and repentance if you have not put your trust in Christ. The only way death is gain is if Christ is your covering. The only way that death is gain is if you repent of your sin, you repent of your lawlessness, you repent of the life you are living apart from Christ, you turn to him in faith and salvation, you plead for him to save you, and Jesus promises that he will come to you. He'll meet you right where you're at. You don't have to clean up your rack. You don't have to pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. He will meet you. He will forgive you. He will save you. And he will give you an imperishable inheritance. That is his promise to you to be with him forever and ever and ever. Let me finish with a story of a brother named Hugh McHale. On the 22nd of December, 1666, this young 26-year-old Scottish preacher faced his death sentence. He was to be hung in Edinburgh for publicly calling out the king. He was calling out the state and even the church for persecuting Presbyterians for their faith. And after he sang Psalm 31, he began to climb the scaffold and each step up the ladder he cried out, friends and fellow sufferers, do not be afraid. Every step of this ladder is a degree 
nearer and nearer to heaven. And after he read from God's word and addressed the crowds, they wrapped that noose around his neck. And these are his last recorded words. This is what he said. Now I leave off speaking anymore to creatures and to turn my speech to thee, O Lord. Now I begin my intercourse with God, which shall never be broken off. Farewell, father and mother, friends and relations. Farewell, world and all delights. Farewell, meat and drink. Farewell, sun, moon and stars. And welcome, God and father. Welcome, sweet Lord Jesus, mediator of a new covenant. Welcome, blessed spirit of grace. God of all consolation, welcome glory, welcome eternal life, welcome death. And with those last words, they tightened the rope, they hung him, and he was off into glory. Like the Apostle Paul and so many other saints who have went before us, can you say, for me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let's pray. Oh, Father, what great truth, what sweet reminders. Father, we need to constantly be reminded of the reality of death. It will come. It's described as a grim reaper, in black, with a sickle, for a reason. Because people fear it. But Lord, for the believer, we should never fear death, realizing that all death is, is entry into glory, where we will be in a new and lasting city, where we will be in the perfect company of the saints and angels, where we be reunited with loved ones, where we will be more like Christ, more than we can ever dream or imagine, and where we will enjoy the sweet communion with the one that our soul loves the most. Oh, Father, help us to meditate on this truth, to love this truth, to proclaim this truth to others. The clock is ticking. We have an appointment with death. We do not know when it's going to come, but Lord, we want to be ready for it. And Father, while we live, while we have opportunity to represent you and make you known, I pray that we would do that faithfully and boldly and unashamedly. Like the Apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Thank you for the precious gospel which saved our souls and will save the souls of others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.